This is an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. From ABC News headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. The World Health Organization now says Europe is the epicenter of the global coronavirus pandemic. And tonight, travel restrictions into the United States take effect. Here at the end of the week, coronavirus has changed our lives in innumerable ways. Schools close, sports, the arts and entertainment are all on hold. An unprecedented and dramatic transformation of life in the United States as the country shuts down to save itself. A wobbly response has given way to drastic action now to stop the relentless spread of novel coronavirus. We know each day's developments bring more questions, and so we want to turn right away to our chief medical correspondent here at ABC News, Dr. Jennifer Ashton, joined today by Dr. Simone Wilds, an infectious disease expert at South Shore Health outside Boston. Both now take your questions as posed by my colleague, Diane Macedo. First one, I have heard children are faring well, but I am still concerned. My child has type 1 diabetes. How concerned should we be for his health? I mean, I think we definitely want to be concerned, but I think if you take the basic precautions, um, make sure they're staying healthy, monitor their blood sugars, I mean, I think they're going to be okay, but you want to, as a parent, you're just going to be a little bit more cautious with them. But being cautious, do do you let the kid go to the playground, for example? Do you let them play with their friends, or do you keep them home right now? I mean, I would let them go to the playground, but of course, if there are lots of kids there, then I'm going to limit the contact they're going to have with kids, but it's going to be hard to keep a child home all day. Mm -hmm. My husband's dealing with that right now. He said, we're going to go to the kid gym across the street, and I was like, I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah. And so our next viewer is on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm a 66-year-old male in average health. Exactly what should I be doing? I have grandkids and family that we see a lot. Can we still see them? So I think what's interesting about these questions, because they're coming from different age groups, is that right now, first of all, the CDC has yet to release clinical data on our U.S. cases. And that's really important to us as doctors because we want to know the profile characteristics of the U.S. cases. What's the average age? What pre-existing medical conditions did they have? How many were symptomatic that needed hospitalization or critical care? Things like that. They haven't released that U.S. Why data not? yet. I don't know, but we're asking them, okay. Diane. We're asking I'm them sure you are. regularly, I'm sure you are, um, and obviously they're very busy collecting that data. So it does exist. They just have not released it yet. I have a, a call in this afternoon to the editor in chief of the New England Journal of Medicine, who I can guarantee you they will be publishing that data in real time as soon as they receive it. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping to learn more. But the point with this question, this viewer's question, all about about ages, is that. What we know thus far, which has been published out of the Chinese case reports, is that people over the age of 80 are at much greater risk of death due to coronavirus than people who are younger. We know that the majority of cases are mild and don't require hospitalization, but about 15 percent are severe and anywhere from three to five or six percent are critical and would retire would require ICU care. When you look at an age of someone, understand and this is important We've been talking about this, you know, off air and and clinically. There will be exceptions to these age ranges. So even though older people are at greater risk, you're going to hear of 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds hospitalized with pneumonia. Anecdotally, we already are. Absolutely. 100% we are. So 
if that were my patient, a, a healthy 66-year-old with grandchildren, and I would say take a couple of extra common sense precautions right now because so much is unknown. And understand that even young, healthy people can become potentially very sick with this. And, you know, if you're in an older age group, we think your risk is slightly higher. Our next viewer question is about if you do have it. If you have it once, can you get it again? How are people doing that had it and have gotten over it? Well, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> Still a lot of unanswered questions. You know, in general, you know, in the, the world of infectious diseases, your mm-hmm. world, when you've gotten exposed to one strain of a virus, you can't get that exact strain again. But we now know there are at least two strains yes. of this. Yes, right? so, so many other strains. So, you know, we, there's still a possibility that you could get another infection. Is there a hope that we could start developing an immunity to this, perhaps? I think that's always the hope. 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 Yeah, that's always the hope, sure. We can hope for anything, right? Uh, Can the virus be transmitted by handling produce in the grocery stores? So many people touch produce. Yes, Mm -hmm. but listen, here's the thing. Um, The assumption is, of course, like any contact or surface exposure, but remember, you know, that those... Produce or salad bars or hot spots were were risks for other pathogens before we knew about coronavirus. So yes, you want to wash your hands even more. You want to wash your produce even more, but you don't want to stop eating produce. Um, you know that's just not compatible with continuing to live some kind of a life. And we also have to understand that the steps we're taking right now are not going to be the steps we're going to be taking forever. Mm. You know they're out of an abundance of caution right now to flatten the curve, to slow the spread of this, and to protect other people, including ourselves. And so. I, I am continuing to eat produce, but, uh, you know, I'm washing my hands a little more and I'm washing the produce a little more. Don't pick up the mango and then rub your rice. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. And this is a relevant question in the same field. How long does the virus live on hard and soft surfaces? We're hearing more about that, yeah, right? What's... Yes. Is it about, um, so what we they just did a study recently that it says um, three hours to... To up to several Some, days. Several days. And it depends on humidity. It depends on the surface. Mm-hmm. Metal, glass, plastic, cardboard, clothes, yeah. all different. But, but people need to also remember that's in a laboratory environment. And right now, when you were hearing the initial range, which even I was reporting at the beginning of this week, two hours up to nine days, that was based on other human coronaviruses and studies. But because, again, this is so new, it's not like there have been scientists studying this. for. We're still time. waiting to get the studies to kind of finalize this. Well, and I have one more question because I saw this debate playing out on social media yesterday. Somebody was saying the virus is not airborne and people then interpret that to mean they can only get it through contact. Can you explain the communication through droplets and what that means. So this is definitely an airborne transmit. That's the primary role in the way this disease is transmitted. When you cough or sneeze, the particles going in the air gets into your eyes, your nose, your mouth. That's one of the primary routes that we get it. We also have um, community transmission where you have people that are in close quarters, you know, people touching surfaces, not washing their hands. So definitely that's one of the other ways that we see that's happening quite frequently. In but would you say respiratory droplet transmission via airborne? In other words, it's not like measles. We don't think it's like measles yet. Correct. Yes. So there, in, in the world of infectious diseases, they use airborne and respiratory droplets differently, um, right? Yes, I mean, yes, we do. The, yes, we do. They have a whole different lingo for yes. that. But, you know, airborne, meaning that if someone coughs Cough. and sneezes, 
it is transmitted through respiratory droplets in the air. And that study that Dr. Wilds was just talking about literally is less than 24 hours old, hasn't been peer reviewed yet, but did show or suggest that the viral particles can linger in the air for a few hours, but then they fall to the ground. Right. Yeah. So it's not like measles, right? No, it's, it's, it's definitely In not that you like can't measles. walk into the room the next day, let's Correct. say, and get yeah, it from someone correct. who is no, there. But that doesn't not. mean it's not airborne in that you can get it through the air from someone who's you next to you, it. sneezes right. or yes. coughs, etc. Yes. Dr. Macedo, correct. Thank you for yes. hearing this. That's right. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm That's getting right. there. Every moment seems to bring something new and inspire a new question. Uh, today, it may be the schools in Los Angeles. ABC's Alex Stone is with us now from L.A. What's closing, Alex? Well, this is a big development right now in the, the last couple of minutes that L.A. Unified Schools, San Diego Schools, uh, San Francisco, Denver, Seattle area schools, they are all shutting down. But the announcement in the last couple of minutes being LAUSD, that is 750,000 students, the second largest school district in the country, along with San Diego as well. They had been resisting doing this. L.A. schools, as of yesterday, saying they were not going to do it at that point because they thought there was more harm to it than good, in that a lot of uh, students who need food at schools that, that may not be able to get food at home, they eat at school, they may not be able to wash their hands at home, if they are in uh, underprivileged areas, and that they can do all that at school. But this is the announcement from Austin Butner, the uh, L.A. Unified Superintendent, moments ago. And to our families, we thank you for your patience and trust as we work together to maintain some sense of normalcy in these difficult times. These next two weeks will be difficult, and we are not certain what lies ahead after that. The plan right now is to reassess in two weeks to figure out, is it now safe to reopen the schools? But at this point, as you just heard Butner say there, they just don't know, Aaron. It is a real debate. They're having the same debate here in New York, Alex. Not only do kids rely on the social services that the schools provide, there's some concern that it would take parents who are really needed right now in hospitals and doctor's offices uh, on the front lines and the fire department and the police department out of work if they have to stay home to care for children. Well, absolutely. Just on the personal side, I live in an area of L.A. where we have a lot of police officers, a lot of firefighters. They live in our area. Uh, and many of those who are on LAPD and L.A. Sheriff, they live in our town. And this is something that has been going around on the apps like Nextdoor and on Facebook groups of if you know somebody, if you live next door to somebody who is LAPD or LA Sheriff or County or City Fire or a, a, a medic to help them out, to say, hey, we'll take your kids or to cook them dinner so they don't have to do that when they get home, that you really do have the community aspect to it now of trying to help one another out. But that is a major concern that you do have some parents that do need to go to work and now they're going to have this issue that they have to deal with let alone all of the, the lost instruction time and everything else now the kids are going to deal with, but there are so many moving components to all of it. Alex, in, in California, um, a number of things other than schools uh, are shutting down. Some iconic locations, tourist locations, they're also closed. Yeah, if you don't live in California, you may not know the impact of Disneyland. That was really a symbol yesterday. This is when we have to say that Disney is a parent company of ABC News as we talk about this. But Disneyland has only shut down three other times in its history, 9-11, the Northridge earthquake in 1994, and JFK's death. This does not happen. 
And this was a symbol when Disney yesterday announced the Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure, then later in the day, Disney World and and those parks, that they're going to be shutting down. That seemed to, at least in the the world of parents and those that that have kids at the ages where they would typically go to Disneyland, that was the symbol that that schools need to shut down, that we now need to take this seriously. And you notice after that, San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, they shut down schools. That was symbolic in that moment when Disney announced that the Disneyland is shutting down. Oh, fascinating about the, the, the priority of Disneyland in, in California. We know just today Louisiana is thinking about postponing its presidential primary. Canada has shut down Parliament and advised against all non-essential travel outside the country. The Boston Marathon, the iconic road race, has been postponed for the first time in its 124-year history. So simply stunning developments uh, continue. And Alex, in the meantime, the state where you are is trying to grapple with the tests for coronavirus. And the governor's been rather uh, vocal about problems. What's gone wrong? This is something that Governor Newsom says he's surprised isn't getting more attention. He believes other states are dealing with this as well. There are thousands of tests that the CDC and the companies making them for the CDC have sent to California but they don't work. They were sent without the what are called reagents, the components that are needed. So the overall test is there, but none of the components inside. Here's how the governor put it. I think it's very much in line, these tests, with you're going to the store and purchasing a printer, but forgetting to purchase the ink. So you need multiple components. And so it's incumbent uh, upon all of us to make sure those components are intact. Those components aren't there. So he says that they can only do a small fraction that, that yes, the White House says, well, we sent California 4,000 tests. And he says, yes, you did. But you sent us that printer without the ink. So now it doesn't work. So what they're doing is at labs, they are swapping pieces saying, hey, we've got this. Do you have that? Yeah, we have that. We'll send you that piece trying to create complete tests. And right now they, they just can't do many because they don't have everything they need. Uh, not a great look, Alex. No. And the the governor is saying that, that this is something that, whether it be the CDC or the, the companies making these tests or the White House, they don't know. And, you know, you could argue, well, this is Governor Newsom, who has previously been very critical of the Trump administration doing it again. And through this, the governor has not been political. He's been actually praising President Trump and giving him credit for what he's done. He says, this is not politics. This is, these tests don't work. The, the company that makes the reagents says they can't produce them fast enough right now. So the test kits are going out without the reagents. But if you don't have the reagent, you can't do anything. So they can start the test. What they've been doing is doing that, then sending it to the CDC in Atlanta, where they have the reagents to do it there. But that slows everything down. So you've got thousands of people right now who are waiting to take tests, and they can't in California because we do not have these complete tests. ABC's Alex Stone, The View from Los Angeles. We put some of these testing questions to the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been the leading voice in the country on coronavirus. He spoke with my colleague Cecilia Vega. 
Dr. Fauci, thank you so much for being with us at this critical time right now. I want to start with where we are exactly in this country at this moment. We are seeing a complete change in how we are all living our lives. How bad is this going to get before it gets better? Well, it's certainly going to get worse before it gets better. And, and the kinds of mitigation strategies, containment and mitigations that you're talking about is to do that kind of physical separation of people which is one of the very effective ways that you can uh, really mitigate the spread of the virus. If you look at the pattern of viruses, particularly these types of viruses, and even look at what's gone on in China and in Italy and in South Korea, you go along like this, the way we were, and then you have a big spike that goes way up, and then after a while, after much disease and suffering and death, it comes back down again. The purpose of the mitigation is to get that peak and to blunt it so that it's a bit of a hill as opposed to a mountain. We're at a critical point now, more in some regions of the country than in others. But in general, the kinds of things that are going on will hopefully make that blunting of that peak so that we could save a lot of lives and save a lot of illness. But to be clear, we are not peaked yet. No, it, there's no doubt that we have not peaked yet. I think it's frightening for a lot of people to see what <clears throat> we're seeing in places like Italy and places like China. Are we working toward a gradual shutdown of our country here at home? You know, it's very difficult to predict, Cecilia. I, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to get to that. I think that would be really rather dramatic. But I can tell you that all things are on the table. We just have to respond as things evolve over the days and over the weeks. Dr. Fauci, if the, if the most vulnerable, gr- vulnerable group is the elderly right now, we're seeing all of these school closures around the country. Is that the right move for children and families? Well, I think it should be done in a proportionate way. And I, mean, I think what's going on right now is, is generally an appropriate approach. But people need to understand, even though it's clear from our experience, that children, young adults do very well for the most part. They are not the most vulnerable, but they do get infected. And if they get infected and the school, the crowding of the school is a perfect place for that to happen, they may do well, but then they go home and there's grandma and grandpa and an uncle or an aunt or a mother or father who actually have an underlying condition that'll make them more vulnerable. Uh, You know this testing is top of mind for so many of us right now, and you made some headlines with your very candid and blunt assessment of the state of testing. You said the health system is failing at providing adequate testing when you were uh, testifying before Congress. Dr. Fauci, are there people who are walking around right now who have the virus and don't know it because of this lack of testing? Well, I'm not so sure it's because of the lack of testing. But I think clearly the system as it was originally designed was very good for what it was designed for. Now, looking forward, we're changing it rapidly. So, you know, rather than playing Monday morning quarterback, let's look ahead. And I believe what we're hearing at the task force, that we are now getting into that phase where we'll be able to really scale it up a lot. I think in the next week or so you're going to see an acceleration of availability of tests. Well, I want to get your take on the messaging from the White House right now, because it was just yesterday that President Trump himself said that, frankly, the testing has been, quote, very smooth. Are Americans getting mixed messages on this front? Is it accurate, Dr. Fauci, to say that the testing has been very smooth? Well, you know, I think, again, I don't want to be getting involved in contradicting or non-contradicting. Right now, as I've mentioned many times, and I'll stick by it, Early on, the way the system was designed, as good a system as it was, 
it was not amenable or designed to approach that broad blanket testing. We're on our way to that now, and we'll be able to do it relatively soon. Well, I'm sure you've heard what uh, California's Governor Gavin Newsom is saying. He's saying many of the testing kits that they've received there uh, by the government are missing key components. He's comparing this to kits. To, he's comparing these testing kits to printers without ink. Isn't that just unacceptable at this stage? That was an unfortunate situation. Right now, it's being corrected and is being corrected. Okay, I've got to ask you just quickly about uh, President Trump and the photos that I'm sure you've seen of him standing next to the Brazilian official who has since uh, tested positive. People are of the mind, I think, that if you come into contact with someone who has tested positive, that you yourself self should be monitoring, self-monitoring, or perhaps even in isolation, uh, getting tested. Should he, should all of those things apply to the president? You know, I, I leave that to the president's White House physician, who's an extremely competent individual who I know well, and the decisions there were between what would be a potential patient and the physician. So I'll leave that decision to them. But, but if you came into contact with someone who tested positive, would you yourself get tested? Well, it would be the circumstances. Likely I would, but, you know, I'm not sure. It depends on the circumstances. But I think we should follow the guidelines of the CDC about when you are at a risk, what you should do. And, and finally, Dr. Fauci, as people are working from home today and we're seeing these country, these shutdowns all over the country, uh, what's your message? How long are we going to be living like this? You know, it's going to be at least a matter of several weeks. I mean, it's unpredictable, but if you look at historically how these things work, it'll likely be anywhere from a few weeks to up to eight weeks or more. I hope it's going to be in the earlier part, let's say two, three, four weeks, but it's really impossible to make an accurate prediction. Dr. Anthony Fauci with ABC Cecilia Vega. Eight weeks, potentially, he's talking about as the country has come in many ways to a halt as debate continues about what else can or maybe should be called off. I want to turn to the White House, ABC's Karen Travers. The president was prepared to declare a national emergency, Karen. We are expecting him to announce that today at his three o'clock press conference here at the White House, but uh, don't have a lot of details and sources are cautioning us that things are very, very fluid. No surprise. This is certainly a very rapidly developing situation. What this means is that if you declare a national emergency, the president can direct more federal aid to state and local municipalities. We have certainly been seeing in the last three days governors and mayors, local officials all across the country really making big moves, closing schools urging people to work from home. And now they're looking to the federal government to help minimize the impact from the virus. So look for the president to say that coming up in about an hour and a half here at the White House. But again, a lot of these things are uh, quickly developing. We're also expecting him to comment on the stimulus plan that is being worked out with House Democrats and his administration. It seems like right now the last piece of that puzzle is the president saying he signs off on this and then it can get through the House and Senate. And in the meantime, we heard from the Treasury Secretary, Don't look at the screen. Yes. Everybody relax. Don't look at uh, your stock portfolio. Don't watch the numbers and the graphs you're seeing. Everybody just take a step back. He says things will bounce back. And in a year, everything will be back to where things were. Or at some point, uh, things will be back to where they were. But it's a very hard message, I think, to send to nervous people across the country. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the president's tone is compared to that speech on Wednesday night where the markets were just really rattled after the announcement about that travel restriction from Europe and criticism that the president didn't focus on the human side, the people that are worried right now, and uh, the containment measures that need to be taking place across the country.
ABC's Karen Travers with us from her post at the White House amid the evolving government response to coronavirus, a global pandemic that the World Health Organization said has its epicenter in Europe, although that could quickly change to the United States. I'm Aaron Katursky. For my colleagues, you've been listening to an ABC News special. ABC News. Honored. Winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News. America's number one news choice. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.